2: Filmmakers and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance and impact of that filmmaker or genre with a guest, who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which I will then watch and report back on. This month, I'm exploring some films from Harold Lloyd, and joining me to discuss is co-host of the Battleship Pretension podcast, and new to this since the last time I talked to him, MFA recipient, Tyler Smith. Tyler, welcome to I Do Movies Badly.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Uh, you know what? I'm, uh, it's... uh when you said MFA, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think about, <laughs> I don't think about that. Like the fact that I, um, yeah, I went back to school and I got my my master's degree in cinema and media studies from UCLA. Mm. And that's something that is very exciting, but it still just feels like I was, it felt like I was just doing what I always do, which is just talking movies and writing about movies, <laughs> but I, it was on a college campus. And then like, so I did that for a, wh- a while. And then they said, Hey, here's this big, Fancy looking certificate, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, all right,
2: yeah, neat." They, they said, "Here, um, <laughs> here's, here's the f- paper that you spent thousands of dollars on." Oh, that
1: is not how it worked for me, <laughs> oh. because I'm a California resident, so already my tuition was very low. Okay, but then they also uh, had a grant, not a grant, uh, stipend, a stipend uh, for all students starting the year that I started, thankfully. Oh, wow! Um, and then as a TA. Uh, I did not have to pay tuition, and they paid me. So I think I came out of my master's program having made money, actually. Well,
2: look at this, Tyler. You, you, know, you, were, you, you started out as a podcaster making money off of talking about movies. You went to school to make money talking about movies. And now I have to assume you're not making any money talking about movies as a teacher.
1: No, I am. Oh. I,
2: I'm, yeah. looking, I'm looking for a downside of this so that I can feel better about myself is what I'm trying to say.
1: Oh, well, I mean, I still like drive for Lyft a little bit here and there. Um, but it's, it is crazy to think that, uh, like that, like last semester was my first time teaching a a college course and it was a three hour and five minute class. I don't know why that five (laughs) minutes was important, but anyway, um, it was a three hour and five minute class on Tuesdays and it involved me lecturing. Mm Showing the kids a movie yep. and then a discussion. Mm-hmm. So, if you're doing your math, that, you know, movies are about two hours, sometimes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So, I had to do maybe like 45 minutes of lecturing and then a few minutes of discussion <laughs> afterwards. Uh-huh. And then the rest was me just sitting in silence. <laughs> watching the kids watch the movie. And even then I would regularly go out and get coffee. And so <laughs> it definitely does feel like, uh, I'm getting away with something. Uh, it feels like I'm tricking somebody.
2: It sounds like where all the suckers in. That sounds like a sweet setup.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. Also, <laughs> uh, I'm not even teaching the kids about film. I'm just like talking about my life hmm. and just kind of venting about the events of the day. And then I just rely on them to
2: read the textbook sounds pretty good. Well, I, I guess... I, that,
1: that part's not actually true. I, uh, I, that's a joke, but everything else is true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and I, I kind of want to... Okay, but before we even get into the topic, I'm going to apologize to listeners. I want to I wanna learn a little bit more about Tyler as... Do I have to call you Professor? Do people call you Professor, or are you just Mr. Smith?
1: They call me Professor. Uh, they call me Mr. Smith. Mm-hmm. But... Man, it is so hard not to go into like a Sydney Poitier voice right now and say they call me Mr. Smith. <laughs> but um, I say from the outset, I say Tyler is fine, uh, preferable, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they still call me Professor, Prof, uh-huh. and stuff like that. Um, somebody once called me Doctor, mm-hmm. and I was like, "That's not correct at all." <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and so it's it's very strange, mm-hmm. like. I'm an adjunct instructor at a couple of different community colleges. Nothing about that (laughs) requires Mr. or Professor (laughs) or anything like that. Tyler is barely okay. If anything, it's just like, hey, uh, moron, you know, stuff
2: like that. So it's not as though someone's coming in and saying, Mr. Smith, and you're leaning back in your chair with your blazer without a tie and just saying like, hey, hey, Mr. Smith is my dad. Tyler's fine.
1: I did say that. I said, Mr. Smith is my dad, okay. and he's dead. Why are you being so insensitive? <laughs> and then my supervisor yeah. gave me a talking to because yeah. apparently yeah. I was shaming the student yeah. for something yeah. they couldn't have possibly known. So, yeah. I,
2: I don't know when the society became so puritanical, but frankly, I'm exactly. sick of it. <laughs> exactly. Um, have you got any Mr. Smith goes to Washington jokes yet?
1: Good Lord, no. no. Are you kidding me? All right. Do you know how old that movie is now?
2: Okay, well, I'm going to enroll in whatever co- community college you teach just so I can make those jokes on a regular basis.
1: It would make more sense, even if the kids knew what that movie was, which they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to teach at, like, Washington State University or something <laughs> like that, that would make more sense. But it make, aside from just the words Mr. Smith— right? Doesn't the rest of it? I don't. I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not going to Washington. So, well, uh, I feel like it wouldn't really. I feel like your your terrible joke wouldn't make sense. Well, I still not that, ha- that stopped you before.
2: No, I Tyler, I have. Uh, not only do I continuously make uh, terrible jokes, I sometimes do that uh, with a microphone in front of me at stand-up comedy nights. So.
1: That's right. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah,
2: there's that image what's, in your what's head. One
1: your, what's one of your what's one jokes? I wanna I want I want a Jim Rohner bit right now.
2: <laughs> oh I'm oh uh now I'm really under pressure. Okay. Um Well there's one this is this is a serious one. Okay. Uh, and it was actually the last time I, I I was doing an open mic thing on Friday and I, I forgot this one because I I got nervous and I skipped mm. over it, but it was one where it was uh Why am I so self conscious about this? The only, literally, the only person watching me right now is Tyler, and this makes me more nervous than uh, sitting in front of of a crowd. I
1: can can turn off my camera if you want.
2: (laughs) Um, So it's, it's, uh, it was, have you ever heard that expression, uh, you know, uh, that guy wouldn't hurt a fly to describe someone who's like really gentle? Like, does does it work the other way around? Like, yo, don't fuck with that guy. I've seen him hurt like three flies. And it's, that's good. Yeah, that's great. And 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 it's it's not even meant to be like a. It's just kind of meant to be a filler, like in between you know one joke to the next, basically. So those are
1: those are some of my favorite ones. Um, I remember uh, Dennis Miller, who I know it's not cool to like because he's he's right leaning now, and admittedly is a little bit less funny than he used to be. But that's actually frustratingly common in general. <laughs> but um, but I remember one of my favorite jokes of his. It was just. It was a throwaway. It wasn't even a joke. Right. It was on its way to a joke. Mm -hmm. He was talking about, like, his education growing up. Yeah. And and he said, uh, he goes, now, just to tell you a little bit about me, I was homeschooled, oddly enough, at a branch campus. And then he moved on. (laughs) It's like homeschooled at a branch campus is such a neat idea (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so funny uh, that – and he just threw it away. I, I the the little throwaway ones are some of my favorites.
2: Yeah, no, it's and, and as a comedy fan, have you watched or did you ever watch Last Comic Standing?
1: A little bit here and there. I I I feel like the structure did not really there like there was such a constraint, mm-hmm. um, and I realized that hey, if you're a comic, like you've got your five minutes and all that, but there was just. It just felt like there was never any room to breathe for any of the comics, and I just didn't. I just found it exhausting, and I felt like there was no room for laughter either.
2: Yeah, I, and it's. I, I was never really big into it, but I I remember watching one of the earliest seasons, and there was a guy uh, named Jay London, and I don't know why mm. I, I remembered him because, as far as I know, he's not. He's like one of those comedians that has been doing the grind his entire life, but has not really yeah. made it to the the big time. And he had. Uh, he was sort of like. Um, uh he, he a lot of his stuff was that just kind of like one liner throwaway kind of lines and I remember two that have still stuck with me to this day that are very simple and if you if you like if you're not paying attention, you could miss them entirely and the first one was very simply it was a year ago today <laughs> super simple um mm-hmm. and then one uh another one was i once saw i once saw a stationery store move uh and i <laughs> and i i it's funny and that's the thing they're not like gut bustingly hilarious but Uh, over a decade later they've stuck with me um it's just that simple and that wordplay where if you're not paying attention like wait what i don't understand that so
1: there was uh there was a comedian who i think is not actually that funny but every comedian can have like at least one solid line and uh this guy he he said uh he goes, when I'm dating a girl, I like to light a candle to set the mood. Uh, the candle is Roman and the mood is terror. <laughs> like,
2: that's, that's great, right? It is. It is, it is pretty good. And, and I got to say, it's uh, it's tough because I've i done a lot of improv comedy, but stand-up is different because the entire thing, it, it rests entirely on your shoulders. If you get yeah. laughs, it's because of you. And if it's silent, it's because of you as well. And I, I, I am a guy that tends to... Uh, not uh i I still have some work to do when it comes to not panic moments but like oh shit something is occurring to me right now and i was not prepared for it so i have to scramble so i'll I'll miss jokes or rush through things because a lot of my jokes are rely on me being verbose and and uh and you know but in a way that pays off ultimately um and so if i miss something then i get very panicky and i speed through everything in a way where my girlfriend was at, at the the one with me on friday and she said like you know it was kind of hard to understand you because you, you kind of rushed through things so i mm-hmm. i still got some work to do yeah um before i'm accepted by you uh in, you've in... got
1: more work than <laughs> just comedy to do for that
2: but um Tyler, and uh, well, here's maybe something. Of the entire uh, battleship protection fleet, you are the first one to come back on after I, I brought the show back. So you have that going for you. I, I hope that's a a, a, a piece offering I can bring to you.
1: Well, it's it's exciting. I've I have something to add to my resume now. <laughs>
2: Okay, Aaron. <laughs> see, see, look at us, Tyler. We we should take this on the road. You and I. Uh,
1: yeah, like you're tall and skinny, and I'm short and fat, and <laughs> I hate you. Yeah. I feel like we could make that work.
2: <laughs> yeah, you have facial hair. I don't. Exactly. Um, you have a front yard. I don't. That yeah, uh, um, that's something that
1: works its way into comedy acts all the time.
2: Like sure, no, of course. You know,
1: Bud Abbott had just a giant palatial estate, and uh, Lou Costello like essentially lived on the street.
2: Well, I, I heard that before it became Who's on First. It was Who's mowing the lawn, and they're like that doesn't really connect with an audience very well. So we have right.
1: To... It's like well, it's just my gardener. His name is Who. And it's like oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's
2: like oh, and then it was sort of ended. So but okay, we right. are we are here to. But
1: talk... you, this, this is the stuff you work out on stage. Like they learned that Who's mowing the lawn. Is, uh, they learned after probably like 35 performances of it, that it wasn't really working. And so then one of them yeah. said, Hey, I'm a baseball fan. Let's try that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think for for my next open mic, I think I'm just going to Skype you in and I won't even have material. We'll just be podcasting and people can just watch for five minutes until I'm ultimately thrown off. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> and my Skype account is canceled somehow. <laughs>
2: um, okay. But, but Tyler is here to to discuss the films of, of Harold Lloyd um, and this is a, uh, this is and I was talking to to Tyler about this before we started recording that I should have maybe looked a little bit earlier because I went online to to, IMDb which is not to be confused with um, IDMB which is of course I came first and uh, mm-hmm. to look up Harold Lloyd and, and saw that you know he he's got a few directorial credits but by far. He's known as an actor, over 200 yeah. credits on, on IMDb, so it's kind of a so so. I, I asked Tyler about it, but he said save it for the show. So we got the show now. So Harold Lloyd, more of a more known for for being an, a silent film actor than for being a director, like a Charlie Chaplin or a Buster Keaton.
1: Well, and here's the thing: is that uh, this is what I wanted to mention: is that when it come when it came to silent comedy, mm-hmm. you can't really think of it the way we think of any other movie mm-hmm. all right uh keaton was not always listed chaplin absolutely always listed as the director yeah keaton not always listed as the director lloyd rarely listed as the director yeah. and yet the movies were just as much if not more theirs mm-hmm. than a, than the actual directors yeah. um they would be there like they would help with they it's not like they showed up to set and the director said here's what you're doing <laughs> yeah. you know mm. <clears throat> like uh, I'll, I'll stick with Lloyd. He would be there coming up with like what what were called gag men, you know, it was silent. So the role of the writer is not what we think of now. Um, there is the, you know, the guy who came up with the scenario, mm-hmm. uh, often with the help of Lloyd. And then there were the gag men, the people that came up with, you know, small individual, you know, jokes that lasted 10 seconds and then the longer comedic sequences yeah and then within that there would be little moments of comedy um and lloyd would be there with the gagmen coming up with stuff with them and uh and then and then on the set the lloyd would be coming up with stuff you know the director was there to just make sure everything moved and and got done mm-hmm. but i mean i hate to say it like it's it's even in the um pardon me, even in the uh, the academic world mm-hmm. where uh, the auteur theory is somewhat contested, but people will still refer to a movie as, you know, essentially owned by its director. You know, oh, yeah. this is uh, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Yeah. They don't talk like that when it comes to silent film unless it's, you know, they say Charlie Chaplin's the kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And while he is the credited director um, – the like I couldn't tell you who the official listed director of <laughs> mm-hmm. safety last is it's Harold Lloyd's safety last for right. all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, as like when you, if you look at, uh, if you look at his, his IMDb, like he's listed mostly as an actor and very little as a director, but he was instrumental in his films existing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, And the jokes that came with it, and so it's the the world of silent comedy is is genuinely fascinating. It's this weird anomaly, Um, and I would say like the world of silent comedy, and maybe even the world the the early world of sound comedy. Mm -hmm. um, You know, I don't know who I don't know who directed Africa Screams, which is a Laurel and uh, which is an Abbott and Costello film. Yeah, Um, and so that it just it became. These guys were the, the, the one could say, the primary authors of their films, even though they weren't the credited directors. Mm-hmm. Chaplin, being something of an egotist, would never let anybody else uh, direct or, or give anybody else the credit. His movies were his all around. He would write, act, direct, compose, produce. He did it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and good for him for doing so. But uh, my patience for Chaplin is actually... Uh, uh, somewhat limited. He was he was brilliant, undeniably, but I definitely prefer both
2: Lloyd and Keaton to him. It was the mustache, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that was it. I mean, I thought like, <laughs> hey, stop stop taking Hitler's moves. I know that's not actually how that worked, but um, I, I'm very protective of Hitler's <laughs> image. Um, oh, so, uh, in the same way that like when I see Sam Elliott, I'm like, hey, you leave Stalin alone.
2: Yeah, no, rightfully um, so.
1: It's really just facial hair. I get very possessive about facial hair. Yeah. Um. You know, like all these hipsters today. It's like, hey, uh, Fidel Castro yeah. <laughs> uh, pioneered this look. You know what? That one actually. I, the other ones were jokes. This one is probably has much more of a basis in truth. Yeah. Than uh, no. than I mean for it too. But um, anyway. So yeah, it's uh, when talking about early comedy because it, it was so much about the persona um, you know like occasionally Buster Keaton's character had a name that wasn't Buster <laughs> um, but no, who cares nobody knows that mm-hmm. when people talk about the great characters uh, when it comes to any other genre or or subcategory or whatever, they'll talk about the character themselves whereas when they talk about, Keaton, Chaplin, or Lloyd, or Harry Langdon, or any of these others, they would just refer to the guys themselves. They Mm -hmm. might say the little tramp, or the great stone face, or the Glasses character, which is uh, uh, Lloyd's character, but he was also just referred to as Harold in general. Okay. Um, So, yeah. uh, I highly recommend... Have you seen... Uh, like Chaplin and Keaton and all that sort of thing.
2: I uh, I had uh, Charles Epting on uh, a couple years ago to talk about uh, Charlie Chaplin. So I, I've seen okay. a little. I've seen a little bit of him. I shamefully uh, have to admit my brother gave me The General on DVD years ago for my birthday, and I've never watched it. Um, so my exposure to a lot of the, with the exception of Chaplin, to a lot of these silent film stars are. The clips you'll find online, uh, there's a wonderful yeah. Twitter, uh, Twitter account called Silent Film Gifts, which will kind of show you how they did a lot of the practical effects back then, mm. um, or even just great moments. But no, I, I, it, it is a, a a period of American cinema which is um, quite lost on—not lost on me, but to which I need to expose myself a lot more, basically.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and I think everybody does. Um, so the class that I'm teaching right now is— is very, it's history-based, but it's specifically world cinema, so Mm -hmm. uh, we don't watch a lot of American stuff. But, so I'm showing, it's still early in the semester, so I'm showing the kids, like, A Trip to the Moon. Mm -hmm. I did show them uh, The Great Train Robbery, which is an American film, but then The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and just this week, Battleship Potemkin. Mm -hmm. And so, various movies that... Have iconic images to them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and nobody knows. Nobody knows where they came from. Yeah, you know the the moon with a rock and its rocket in its eye in a trip to the moon is something you've seen before. Yeah, uh, the very last the very last image of Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas is a is a reference to the Great Train Robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the uh, the baby carriage sequence, uh, the baby carriage moment in Potemkin has been referenced a few different times <laughs> in
2: every movie. Um, yeah.
1: Kinda, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, and then you watch Caligari, and you say like, "Oh, okay." There's Tim Burton's career just right there on screen. <laughs> um, and 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 it definitely happens a lot with um, with the silent comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a fair amount of Chaplin and. The idea of uh, you know the front of a building falling and a person is standing right there and yeah. then they happen to go through the window yeah. that's Keaton and we've mm-hmm. seen it a billion times after that and a lot of the stuff that I'm gonna have you watch uh, certainly two of the movies that I'm gonna have you watch for Lloyd as you watch them you're like hey wait a second I know that <laughs> I've seen that before so yeah. Um, so yeah it's <clears throat> it's it can be fun I think for for film fans even casual film fans. To watch this stuff and and see where the roots of certain things uh, came from. So, anyway.
2: Yeah, and and you you don't have to spoil it for me now, but I do get the impression the impression I I have a feeling that one of the things you're going to recommend me um, is something that we don't have the climax of Back to the Future unless we had this film first. Uh,
1: probably, Ish. yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so and, and yeah and and I I want to I want to first kind of talk about you and Harold Lloyd because obviously you were best friends at some point um, of course, but also when I when I first started this podcast and, and peek behind the curtain, Tyler was one of the despite his his cool persona towards me. Tyler was one of the 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 biggest encouragers and supporters when I first started this podcast, which I'm sure he regrets a great deal to this day. Now,
1: when you say cool, you mean like Fonzie cool, right? Like a hey, like that?
2: No, exactly. Yeah. Okay. No, good. I, yeah. You can't like, see the hey, conversation. You should start a podcast. Yeah. No. Yeah. Stuff and like then that he rode off on his motorcycle in his leather jacket.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: Um. Uh. But. Um, he and Tyler gave me a list of like here's the filmmakers I could talk about. First one was David Mamet, which is the obviously which kickstarted this podcast. Orson Welles, and then Harold Lloyd. And so you put it out there. It wasn't as though I was searching. <laughs> hey, who could talk to who could talk to me about Harold Lloyd? But that was someone you had a passion for that you knew a lot about. So I guess what is it? I mean Harold Lloyd you you've already said that you didn't care too much for Chaplin and you know Buster Keaton's there but what is it about Harold Lloyd for you that's like this is a, a person whose work or is a character that you that you connected with
1: I think so much of it comes down to the persona which persona do you prefer mm-hmm. and cuz you could take the gags themselves mm-hmm. uh, of Chaplin, Lloyd, Keaton, and I don't mean to imply that those are the the those are the big three, but there was a guy named Harry Langdon, there was a guy named Max Linder, there are a number of other silent comedians. The ones that we tend to remember are those big three, and even then, I'd say Lloyd is debatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, but you could take those those specific gags and kind of interchange them. Uh, what sells them and then what makes them unique uh, is the persona. Yeah. Um, so that when you see some of the gags in a Chaplin film, so much of it is – so much of what sells it is the the little tramp's reaction to what's happening.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the thing itself could absolutely happen in a vacuum. And so – you know, I, I do. I don't mean to say that I don't enjoy Chaplin. I do a great deal, um, but I think he was always so eager to make a difference, and he was always so eager to incorporate, you know, uh, pathos and that sort of thing into his films. Yeah, and which is not a crime at all. Um, the issue for me is that he would do it so ham-fistedly, mm-hmm. so that you could almost see. I know he probably wasn't saying this, but you could almost see him behind the scenes saying, "All right, enough fun. It's time for me to lecture." You know, it, it seemed very much like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keaton, I mean, he was definitely on a different level. He did not care much about pathos. He didn't care really if you sympathize with his character. Uh, he cared about the the technical elements of pulling off the gags mm-hmm. so that often you would laugh at the sheer cleverness of what he was doing. Right. not to imply that that was it, obviously his stuff was genuinely funny as well. Lloyd was similar to Chaplin in that he really wanted his character to be relatable. And so there are moments of pathos. There are moments where you really feel for him in which he's very, the word I use is relatable. He's extremely relatable, Mm -hmm. um, but he does it within the comedy. He doesn't stop the comedy so that you can have these, these long moments. And, and, you know the the stone face character that that Keaton created is one where he's so he's unflappable uh, and so you can't he doesn't really remind you of anybody you've seen in your life. Yeah. <laughs> same with the same with the Little Tramp. Mm-hmm. The the Herald character, however, um, yeah, he would have like all silent comedians, he would have big reactions to things and all that, but he didn't. He seemed like just a regular. Person,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I, I remember I wrote a paper about Harold Lloyd, and I and I compared him to to Chaplin, and I said when the when the whereas the Little Tramp weeps, mm-hmm. Her, Harold just cries. <laughs> you know, um, there's just something about the way he carries himself. And Lloyd himself, he did not wear glasses. Mm-hmm. He realized that his face was he had the type of face that if he put glasses on it it made him look younger it made him look more vulnerable and it made him just seem like a like a relatable and likable person mm-hmm. somebody that you were not merely rooting for but you also felt like you knew mm-hmm. like you could like oh yeah he reminds me of a friend i have you know even just vi- if just visually and so i really liked the idea that in the midst of these often big ridiculous set pieces was just a re- kind of a regular guy. Um, in one of the movies that I'll be talking about today, uh, it's just this, this guy going to college for the first time and trying to be accepted. And one of the things that he, uh, that he says is is like oh I'm just I'm just a regular fellow like he tries to say that as a way of ingratiating himself to people mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing is he is just a regular fellow with many of the same goals as the rest of us which mm-hmm. is he wants a relationship he wants to succeed um, and all of that and and the fact that his character is often so optimistic. Um, many people have written uh that his uh, one of the reasons that his films did so well cuz he outsold both of them like he he was always mm. way more financially successful than the others and some would say that when you think of the spirit of the 20s which was optimism and everything was going great yep. that In the same way that, you know, if you look at the 80s, it was, you know, it was morning in America, it was the Reagan era, there was it was excess and optimism and more than a little cocaine. But (laughs) the point is, like, that was the era when if you look at the big, the movies that made a lot of money, they tended to be sort of big spectacles and movies that weren't remarkably downbeat, with a couple of exceptions here and there, Mm -hmm. um, contrasted with the 70s. And so sometimes the tone of the era um, can really have an impact on the art that people respond to. Mm -hmm. And yes, people loved Keaton and they loved Chaplin. Um, And I think every, I think the, you know, the, the critics and stuff said that those other two guys were probably better artists in general, which is probably true. Um, But as far as the, the popularity and just really, tapping into the the tone of the era Mm uh i think lloyd really does something there and so he's a guy you can't help but his character is someone you can't help but root for you can't help but feel for um, and he's it's just a i think i just respond to that a lot it's just a a seemingly regular guy plopped in the middle of a crazy silent film
2: and i i wonder if then because Chaplin and buster keaton it's probably improper to call them that they had gimmicks, but they had certain angles and approaches to their their characters that sort of you know mm-hmm. w- without even yeah without I mean you could draw not even a great picture of Chaplin and Buster Keaton people would be like oh I I know who that is right. um, so I wonder if you if you have an opinion of this regular guy approach if that's sort of contributes to Harold Lloyd not being as well remembered because I, like I, I mean the the past is certainly told by those who win and when it comes to what art is being remembered there's gatekeepers across generations, I'm sure. But what is it yeah. that sort of like, we remember Chaplin, we remember Buster Keaton, and some people might remember Harold Lloyd, but as a larger conversation, like, eh, like, who's who's that guy? Like, where, what happened?
1: Yeah, um, I do think it's, it's that. It's, I mean, here's the thing, is when you watch enough of his films, he has just as much a persona as the others, and mm-hmm. he has just as much a gimmick mm-hmm. as the others. Sure. Um, but the gimmick is less... Extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gimmick is less heightened. Um, his is that he's a well-meaning, uh, naive kid with these glasses and he's, a and he's a go-getter and all that. Like you get such a sense of his character from one film to the next, uh, And so I do think that in the same way, as strange as it may sound, um, so my favorite actor is Robert Duvall, all right? And he came up, uh, I mean, he he started in the 60s, but he became known in the 70s. But when people talk of the best actors of that era, they think about Pacino, De Niro, Mm. Nicholson, uh, Meryl Streep started at that time. Um, But as far as like the male actors, people will often point at these guys that they can very easily do an impression of. Yeah, yeah. I can't – there is an impression to be done of Robert Duvall. I've seen uh, – there's an actor named Titus Welliver who is on uh, Deadwood. Uh, he could do one, and it's a, it's amazing. But the reason it's it's amazing is because you don't immediately realize that Duval has these certain speech affectations and cadences. Yep. Um, and so I do think that we – the people that stay in our mind, certainly the performers that stay in our mind, are the ones that can be – Summed up very easily. Yeah, uh, and the ones that seem more relatable because I think that Duval was much more of a chameleon than the other ones. Um, he didn't really have like a star persona. He was just a very good, reliable actor. Mm. Um, like if you look at him in The Godfather versus Apocalypse Now, same director, same actor. <laughs> my characters couldn't be more different. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so I do think that we gravitate towards. The things that are bigger than life, and like I said, can be very easily described and summed up. And I don't think Lloyd was necessarily that. Like, mm-hmm. if it's between, hey, there's this uh, there's this sort of magical uh, hobo with this uh, top hat and this very this very flexible cane, and he finds himself in all these wacky situations, as opposed to, uh, there's this guy with glasses He reminds you of your friend. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that doesn't sound that exciting to people, uh, but it's it's for that exact reason that I love it so much.
2: Mm-hmm. And did uh, – because, I, I mean, looking at uh, his IMDb page, I mean, he was prolific um, and, and lived until the 1970s. That doesn't mean he was mm-hmm. working until the 1970s, but um, it starts thinning off, and, and, and really there's nothing past 1947. There's not a whole lot in the 30s. Uh, how how did how did he adapt to the sound era? Was it was that part of what kind of contributed to Harold Lloyd no longer making Harold Lloyd movies?
1: Uh he did better than the others, I would say. Uh Keaton I don't think even tried to transition. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Chaplin made silent films well into the sound era, um and because his name meant something to so many people, they still went for him. Sure. Um Lloyd continued to work and actually did make movies in the sound era, and they were moderately successful. Um, but I think a lot of it is that he got older, and frankly, he made a lot of money. He was a brilliant he was a brilliant businessman, <laughs> and so he didn't really need to act. He didn't really need to work anymore. Um, and then after a certain point he became, and I don't, I don't see some people, what I'm about to say, some people could look at it as like narcissistic. He became much more committed to his own legacy and the idea of, of people not forgetting him or the other silent comedians. Um, And so his name became attached. He became in the same way that, uh, for a number of people in the seventies, Orson Welles was just as much, if not more, of a personality than an actual filmmaker mm-hmm. or actor. And similarly, you know, uh, Harold Lloyd would go on talk shows and he would be on panel shows and he would, he, he, his name would be attached to like TV uh, comedy-based TV shows of the 1960s where he a- sort of just acts as MC oh. uh, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so he was committed to sort of staying relevant. Uh, and but what's frustrating is that a lot of film students became less interested in him maybe because his stuff was so <clears throat> it felt so of the time in the nineteen six and uh, 1920s, whereas Chaplin's character always seemed to exist outside of time. And, you know, Keaton's character often seemed to exist outside of this world. Um, <laughs> whereas, you know, that, that is the potential downside of having a character, you know, the often the stuff that is the most popular is the stuff that is not going to age super great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um And so that, and then shortly after Lloyd passed away, his family didn't really know what to do with his stuff. They had total control over it, but when it came time for home video, you could find Chaplin's stuff, you could find some of Keaton's stuff, you couldn't find any of Lloyd's. Right. So there, was, there were at least two generations of, of film students. Mm-hmm. I don't mean generations like every 20 years, but just, you know, every about, probably about every 10 years, there's like a new crop of film students that yeah. would cite different influences. And so there are easily two, maybe even three generations of film students for whom they maybe they were interested in Lloyd, but they did not know at all how to get a hold of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, his family started coming to their senses probably about 10, 15 years ago and released his stuff on DVD. And then I, I do think that when Criterion got hold of his stuff. I think that's the best thing that could have happened to his career because, um, again, not that he's around to, it's the best thing that could have happened for his legacy. Yeah. Because I think <clears throat> much as I may disagree with this general attitude, I do think that when Criterion snatches up your stuff, it means something to a lot of people. Yeah. And so there are people who might not have cared much about Lloyd and now they kind of do. And now there's like, well, I mean, if Criterion got it, then it must mean something to somebody. And so, uh, so yeah, he actually was – he was successful and remained successful for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wasn't successful in the exact same way that he was in the 20s.
2: Wait, no, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to phrase this question, but was he – in regards to being a, a personality and like a force in the, in the silent comedy era, was he sort of – On his own, and and I'm trying to figure out in a way this makes sense, because Chaplin was like an establishment and sort of his own thing, and Buster Keaton Mm -hmm. went on to co-found United Artists, and so that was a group of people. Was like, Harold Lloyd, did did he, was there, was he simpatico with people? Was he just sort of his own person doing his own thing?
1: No, he was very well known and very well liked Mm -hmm. uh, in the industry, and that's the thing, is like, Keaton felt a certain degree of competition with Chaplin. Mm -hmm. He didn't he didn't feel anything like that with Lloyd and he could have cause Lloyd was infinitely more successful. Um, but it, it had to do with the fact that Lloyd was just all around a good guy and very genial. Like there was, um, <coughs> I forget the exact deal, but, uh, in, I think the, the late twenties, Keaton was going to be signing with a specific studio that notoriously did not really respect, uh, artist freedom and word got around Hollywood that that was going to happen. Eventually it did happen. But when word got to Lloyd, he called Keaton and he said, you should not do this. <laughs> this is going to be very bad for you, for your films. And you're going to be miserable. I believe he said something like they're not, they're not your type. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's, if he felt some type of competition, because he certainly, he was more popular, but I think he knew at the time that people regarded mm-hmm. Chaplin and Keaton better. Um, and so they certainly considered Chaplin a, a genius, but, um, but yeah, for him, he could have just been like, hey, looks like, uh, Looks like Buster's going down, uh, so this is going to be great for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, he just—I think he just appreciated getting to make movies, and the fact that he never intended early on in his career—he never intended to be a comedian. He wanted to just be an actor, so he had acted in some dramatic stuff and then oh. saw a, saw a hole. Uh, in the in the comedy world, and he's like, oh, I guess I'll, uh, I'll go there. And it took him a long time to find his his glasses persona. He created a character early on called Lonesome Luke, who was essentially the anti-chaplain, quite literally. Like, everything about the little tramp <clears throat> character visually is what is the opposite of Lonesome Luke. He, cha- you know, the tramp wore clothes that were way too loose, and so Luke wore stuff that was way too tight. Um, and then literally... Uh, oh, the tramp has a mustache that's just like a little square in the middle, so Luke will have these two, will have mustache ends on the sides of his <laughs> mouth, kind of making him look, I hate to say, kind of making him look sort of like a, a, a silent stereotype, like Chinese guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, <clears throat> and it was just kind of a generic character. There's no personality to him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, so I think the fact that he what. He was not naturally gifted in like the comedic arts, and did not instinctively understand what the type of character that would work best for him. Right. I think the I think when you actually have to sort of work up to something, as opposed to everyone being like, "You're a genius immediately," um, I think that provides a certain degree of humility, mm-hmm. uh, and and by all accounts, that's what he was.
2: And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a a, a question for to, for film professor Tyler Smith here. Okay. Um, but first, I'm gonna bloviate for a little bit. All right. Um, so when I went to when I went to, to study film in college, we had these two classes: American Cinema One and American Cinema Two. And I got to skip American Cinema One because at that point I was studying at Temple University, and my substitution was the Films of Billy Wilder, one of the greatest classes I ever took. But I was happy mm-hmm. that I missed it because American Cinema One was all about like the invention. Of moving pictures and the silent era and that kind of stuff, and then American cinema too very much started, you know, 30s, 40s, and and beyond. Mm-hmm. In your, not even in in your uh, intellectual opinion, but even on like an, an emotional level too, like, you know, we, we you talked a little bit about how there are certain images in old silent films which make their way into contemporary stuff, and there's sort of this homage thing. But you don't often hear, especially these days, people talking about like, oh yeah, when I was a kid growing up, I watched. A lot of Charlie Chaplin, that was like, or, or Buster Keaton was a big influence on me. So, in your opinion, to kind of step back from Harold Lloyd specifically for a little bit, what's the value in studying uh, and, and like in immersing yourself in silent film beyond just an, an academic sort of like, well, we have to know where we came from kind of level?
1: Well, uh, yeah, that's a good question because I think there, there are a lot of people, and it's similar when people talk about Citizen Kane. Yeah. They often talk about it as one of the most important films without actually recognizing it's also just a great film. <laughs> yeah. And so many films of the silent era, um, yes, you can it, academically it's fun to watch the progression
0: mm-hmm.
1: of filmmaking. Yeah. But within that, uh you you actually have some really fun images, some really fun stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen a trip to the moon, but it's just a delight. everything about it is is whimsical and delightful mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of German expressionism and the idea of these films that ha- whose visuals are dictated by their internal uh, emotions <clears throat> is a fascinating idea that yielded some often genuinely creepy, imagery, like if you're a horror fan, yeah, the movies probably aren't going to scare you, but they will mm-hmm. unsettle you. You can't watch Nosferatu and look at the, the Count Orlok character and be like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> uh, he's, And and I'm a big fan of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and, and that film, yes, of course, it did influence directors like Tim Burton. Um, but beyond that, it also is the story is interesting and told well, and has a really great twist that works perfectly within the uh, the story, but also is just a fun twist in general. And so, uh, and and also when it comes right down to it, it's. Yes, silent films had you know intertitles and stuff like that when a character is talking and you cut to what they're saying. Well, they didn't cut to that all the time because yeah. then that really screwed up the the rhythm, which means it's vi- it's purely visual storytelling. And film is a visual medium. Sound is obviously vital to to things now. Um, but at the time, whether it be the art direction, or the camera movement, or the choice of of edits, uh, everything had to be to- had to be communicated visually. And so I do mm-hmm. think that I'm not going to say that it, that smart people like silent movies, <laughs> but I think silent movies can make you smarter as an observer mm. because you have to pay attention. Yeah, you can't watch a silent movie while you're on your phone. It's not possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, so I do think that. And within that there's you, you get to see some really uh, tremendous acting uh, as in like the passion of Joan of Arc or a wonderful film called the last laugh. Um, and some visuals that are still absolutely gorgeous to this day. Um, because, Hey, if you're going to make visual stories, then the visuals should be as, as interesting or engaging as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we we all heard about this and saw this when we watched uh, "Singing in the Rain," but <laughs> you know, uh, cinematography was doing—they were doing really wonderful things with the camera. Mm-hmm. Right up until the jazz singer came along and then sound became very popular. And suddenly the camera moving and doing fascinating things was not nearly as important to studios and filmmakers and audiences Mm -hmm. as making sure you could hear every dumb, uh, boring bit of dialogue. You know, those early sound films were tremendously dull Mm -hmm. because the camera was locked down. And you just had to listen to people talk about anything and everything. <laughs> um, it, it, went from a, it, it went from a visual medium to uh, an audio medium with the visual just like a delivery device. Mm-hmm. And so I think just uh, there, there's the phrase that I don't necessarily like, but I, I trust you'll know what I mean when I say that in terms of pure cinema – Which is just, you know, there's no rule that it has to be dramatic. There's no rule that there has to be a narrative. It's just a visual experience Mm -hmm. put together through moving images, cut together through editing and just creating a certain rhythm that will hit you on an emotional standpoint. Uh, So along those lines, I think that silent film has tremendous value. Of course it does for an academic standpoint, uh, but I also think from an entertainment and engagement standpoint, there are a lot of truly wonderful silent films out there that I think people, if they're able to let themselves, Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of stuff that movies have become since then that are not bad, but that we need to shed in order to watch certain types of movies, whether they be foreign films or uh, you know art films or not or documentaries or silent films. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to put in the effort, I think not only will you find it educational, but it is very likely you will find it tremendously entertaining.
2: Well, and, and I, I'm also amazed. I, I'm not the kind of guy uh, yet. I'm sure I'll, I'll get to this point at some point in my life, but I'm not the kind of guy yet to, to think, uh, to kind of say like, oh, things were better when we were doing this kind of thing. But right. then you see, like I, I mentioned the the Twitter account, like Silent Film Gifts, a lot of that is sort of, it, it sort of deconstructs how, I mean, how Charlie Chaplin filmed that scene where he's skating around in the department store and it looks like he's going to fall mm-hmm. off in, into the next floor, but he's not. And it's all these practical, ingenious ways of, of creating yeah. something which come from a, a technological confine. And I just think... You know why? Why aren't people still kind of doing this? I mean, if 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 it if they were doing it back then when they didn't have you know the money that certain uh, filmmakers have now and they had a lot less technical capabilities, why aren't we trying to duplicate these things now? Because it seems like you could still make a pretty good uh, a, a pretty good believable product and something which is uh, kind of gets a, a little extra kudos because like hey, you you did something that hasn't been done for a long time and you didn't have to shoot everything against a green screen.
1: Well, I will say that in the production of, I believe, Sherlock Jr., Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, Buster Keaton fell off a train and broke his neck. (laughs) He did not realize he broke his neck until many years later. He was a bit of a drunk. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and during a, just, this was actually just during a photo shoot, Harold Lloyd was holding what was supposed to be a prop bomb. (laughs) Turned out it wasn't. Uh, and so he blew some of his fingers off and had to wear like a fake, uh, like a fake hand. I mean, it was, it was essentially a glove, but it had some fake fingers in it. Um, and You know, this stuff was dangerous. If you do practical stuff, it can be very dangerous. Uh, And, you know, for a lot of people, when Harold Lloyd, again, blew some of his fingers (laughs) off and nobody knew if he was going to work again, if I'm the studio, I'm thinking, our cash cow has just been killed. Mm -hmm. Now, if only it were possible to keep them as safe as possible, no location shooting, do everything digital, if we can do the same thing Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about you know, somebody's health or anything like that. And it can just be cheaper and Mm -hmm. you have more control in a studio. If you can do that, then that's what you do. And so I do understand, I, you know, I, I also am not somebody who says that something done practically is not, I don't think that's inherently better. Um, it can be. And when you know that it's practical, you know, a, a big part of Harold Lloyd, uh, was the concept of the thrill. Mm-hmm. He liked comedy, he liked all different kinds of comedy, but he realized that you know I think I think I, I think somebody described it this way. You know how like you're you're leaning back in a chair and you lean back too far and then you stop yourself but you don't fall and you and you and you feel like the sense of relief and sometimes with that relief is is laughter. Yep. Uh, you know or Sometimes you you step into the street and you did not see a car coming and you get out of the way and you and you laugh like I cannot believe what just almost happened yep. and Lloyd was Lloyd seemed to think well hey that's a laugh <laughs> it's like and that's a laugh nobody else is going for I think I'm gonna try that <laughs> and so his you know he cre- he developed what were called his thrill comedies mm-hmm. um, two of the films that I'll be recommending today fall into that category. Um, And so, uh, yeah, you can't make thrill comedies without more than a little bit of danger. And, uh, it's the exact thing that this, that the audience reacted to, but at the same time, uh, if you're a studio head, you're pulling your hair out all the time. So, Mm -hmm. so I do understand, uh, the, from certainly from a studio standpoint and in some cases a filmmaker standpoint, you know, um, I'm sure George Lucas would have been allowed to do whatever he wanted to do with the Star Wars prequels, and I think he liked having control. And so why not shoot stuff in a studio in front of a green screen instead of going off to the desert and having all my equipment ruined by sand?
2: <laughs> all right. Touche, Mr. Smith, I suppose. Um, and, and now what about uh, I'm, I'm once again, I'm trying to kind of figure out how to, how to phrase this, but almost sort of like the idea of because when we talk about silent film, especially in sort of an academic context, there's sort of this idea of it being sort of precious because it's sort of a, a – a, it is such a, a historical artifact. It's a time and a place. And also because um, a significant portion of it, probably most silent film, which is shot, has not survived because we just right. – they didn't consider that stuff. So what about like the even the – Is there validity to the mythology of, like, because it even exists, it is itself valuable? I mean, it has to be, like, there has to be bad silent films out there which are are available. I mean, Harold Lloyd was an actor in over 200 of them. You can't tell me that 200 of them are, of course, classics that are worth seeking out.
1: Right. Yeah, no, it's, you know, what is it? Uh, In Chinatown, John Huston's character says that uh, ugly buildings politicians and whores all get respectable if they last long enough <laughs> and so it's this idea that yeah i mean these movies many of them they're not antique yet thinking in terms of an antique as something that's 100 years old or older but they're getting there yeah and and having this relic of a relatively new art form and i you know, seeing where it started, it is always going to be important, even if you're watching a movie that is just not that good or engaging. Right. Um, and so I think there is inherent value. But within that, some things are going to be, you know, I think there's historical value and then there's artistic value.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, some silent films are have historical val- value simply by virtue of their existence, whereas others, I think, have more artistic value.
2: That's a pretty good point, point. and, and, and th- this is this is uh, the moment where I'd sort of make a joke like, imagine aliens come down to Earth hundreds of years from now and they find this silent film, but there's not one that's occurring to me which is uh, just uniformly thought of as being a bad silent film, And it's like, oh, look at what these pathetic humans were into. Um,
1: well, at, at this point, I mean, everybody can recognize the artistic value of Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this is an, here's another one. Like, there's artistic and historic Mm -hmm. uh it was valuable historically at the time and it is valuable artistically now but historically when we look at it we're like oh the film the film is showing more than it meant to Mm -hmm. as like as like in a snapshot of the time Mm -hmm. though even at the time people got mad at griffith for the racism in the film so (laughs) uh, it's easy for it yeah, it's easy for us to say like like oh my gosh, I can't believe how racist people were back then. And undoubtedly they were more then than they are now, but people at the time weren't thrilled with it either. So yeah. you know, I think they liked the idea of this epic three hour silent film. But um but yeah, there there are there are films that I think are just not that interesting, but as tends to happen, I couldn't name any of them because by the time they get to us, the ones that are preserved are the ones that are viewed as important, and usually they're viewed as important because they're pretty good.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and now normally before we, we transition into the, the recommendation specifically, I, I like to kind of ask the question of, especially when we're thinking of a filmmaker, like what sort of movie would you have wanted to see this director make? Um I'm 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 wondering if that's still a relevant question just because Harold Lloyd I mean over 200 credits this guy made a whole lot of stuff I I mean yeah. was there it's, it's not as though it seems kind of weird to be like oh I would have liked to have seen Harold Lloyd being a German expressionist of film because like well why that just seems You're right contrary or so in, instead I'm going to I'm going to ask if they were casting or if you were casting a biopic on Harold Lloyd who would you want to see him played by
1: Lee Evans
2: oh okay do you know who that is i i, I think i um, he was in the hobbit wasn't he
1: no that's uh, that's lee pace oh,
2: okay not lee I, at I,
1: least i th- at least i think so no, hang I, on I let think, me
2: i think you're right
1: uh here's why because when i first saw the movie rat uh not rat race mouse hunt Okay, I saw that before I ever saw a Harold Lloyd movie. Okay, um, and then when I saw a Harold Lloyd movie, I was like, that guy looks exactly like the guy from Mouse Hunt. <laughs> um, and at this point, he might be getting a little bit old, um, but like if you look him up on IMDb, yep, uh, he definitely looks a lot like him. You might you remember him in There's Something About Mary. He's like the British guy who's like uh, disabled. And then it turns out he's just faking all of that for sympathy.
2: Here's, here's where I admit I've never seen there's something about Mary. It's fine. It's a, it's a good movie. And I, uh, um, yeah, I mean, at this point I, I probably never will not because of any, anything about how terrible it is, but just like, eh, the moment's passed. uh,
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Um, But yeah, like if you've seen him, he's a very physical actor and a very good comedic actor. He doesn't work very much anymore, but uh, I think he would do a very good job. And I'm sure there are other... You know, uh, younger actors right now who are, because that's the thing. Harold Lloyd was—he was like a good-looking guy. Um, he absolutely could have gone like the leading man, leading dramatic man route, but he found this other gap and and chose to fill that. But uh, so I'm sure there are a number of like good younger actors that could pull off the comedy. Uh, of it, and that's the thing is it would have to be a very physical performance, uh, while also looking vaguely physically similar to him. And so, if you look up Lee Evans, like even on IMDb, like looking at his uh, looking at his primary photo there, yeah. it looks like something. If you make that black and white and add glasses, he looks a lot like Harold Lloyd.
2: Uh-huh. Okay.
1: So anyway.
2: Um, and then, if uh, Harold Lloyd, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton get in a fight, who wins and why?
1: Buster Keaton versus Harold
2: Lloyd in a fight? And Charlie Chaplin. It's, it's a. Fatal and Charlie th- Chaplin. It's a, it's a fatal three-way. Let's say. Uh. Ugh. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait. Hang uh, on. Okay, a uh, uh, triple threat match. Let's say that. <laughs> there instead we go. For yeah. okay. Uh,
1: I think Keaton beats them both.
2: Okay. Uh, the correct. Um, the correct answer is uh, Fatty Arbuckle comes in and kills them all.
1: Ah, but <laughs> Fatty Arpocal was best friends with uh, Buster Keaton. Oh, I so, know. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. I did not know that. All right. Well, um, and I guess one final thing before we get into the predictions. Uh, I was going to say this at the top of the show, but I forgot until right now when I heard it. I apologize if there's any ambient noise as of this recording i'm recording it um 17 minutes before the super bowl is uh about oh, to begin, yeah. and uh i i live above a sports bar as i've documented on this podcast before so i'm going to apologize if there's any noise i assumed the super bowl was starting later than it was so i'm like oh tyler and i will be fine but uh we're not um tyler do you have any predictions for super bowl l one one or whatever it is tonight
1: uh A good friend of mine is a big fan of the Patriots. Okay. So I'm going to say the Patriots win by 85 points. (laughs) That seems fair. Because I want my friend to be happy.
2: And then we we can check once once this podcast goes live to see uh, how right or wrong Tyler was. My only prediction is, um, as quoted by Buster Lang, played by Mr. T., Pain. Uh, that's the only thing that I remember. <laughs> um, okay, so that, that comes to the part of the show when we actually talk about the films that you will be recommending to me. So Tyler, your number one recommendation for a Harold Lloyd for film for me is
1: I don't know. Okay, I do. <laughs> okay. It's the it's the order that I want you to watch them. That's okay. that's the issue. Okay. And, okay, and
2: typically that's something that most people don't even really consider. They just kind of do it chronologically, so
1: well, because here's the thing, looking at the, at the order, cause I know the three that I'm going to recommend. Okay. But, you know, one of them is obviously Safety Last. Okay. Um, which came out in 23. So it's the, it's the earliest of any of these. Okay. And it is arguably, not even arguably, it's probably his best. And I would say it is his most. Harold Lloyd movie. Okay. Okay. And so if I if I were to just go in chronological order, then I have you watching safety last and you probably, it's likely that you'll like that one the most of any of them. Okay. And I don't want to start off on like what could be a high note for you and then go down. I get you. All right.
2: Okay.
1: So maybe we work our way up. Um, but again, I like all uh, safety last is not my favorite of these three films. Um, but I think I don't know, it's it's hard to say. So I think here's what we'll do.
2: Okay.
1: Um we're gonna we're gonna jump around a bit. Okay. okay? So All we're right. gonna start with the one in the middle.
2: Oh, okay we're gonna start with a
1: movie called Girl Shy.
2: Girl Shy? Girl yes, Shy. From ni- from nineteen twenty four. Okay, in which he car plays a character named Harold Meadows. That's right. Okay.
1: Uh, if you look if you look at the his character names, it's just delightful. <laughs> it's you know Harold Horn, Harold Bledsoe, Harold Swift, Harold Hickory, Harold Manners, <laughs> Harold Lamb, uh, Harold Van Pelham. Mm, that's neat. Uh, so it's just fun to to see that. Sure. Um, and for a while he was he the characters went by the name like the boy, and the fact that he's thought of as the boy, like again, it speaks to like a certain naivete uh, of his character, and that will be a common theme here, and we'll definitely see it in Girl Shy, mm-hmm. uh, and. In it, it's just this this guy. He has a stutter, which is something that you'll you would find quite a bit in silent films. Is like because it's something that you can visualize, mm-hmm. uh, that that he can physicalize, and that you can see very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gives a reason why he's not talking. So uh, he's he's very uh, he's very naive. He's very shy. He has a stutter, but he has a, a rich inner life, and and knows what he would like to be. You know, he would like to be this dashing uh, hero that can sweep women off their feet and all that. And so, he has done. Uh, he is is writing a book about like how to uh, how to like romance women and that sort of thing, um, and. There's, a, there's some wishful thinking in the book, but it's also like he, he is actually writing this thing and he's taking it <laughs> seriously. Um, and in the midst of this, he's also uh, in love with this one girl who's going to get married to another man. And you'll see, you know, when you watch the movie, you will see some graduate in there. Oh. Um, <clears throat> which is to say, uh, the the climax of the film is that he is he has to get to the church to try to stop this wedding and of course as tends to happen with silent comedy uh, he he can't he doesn't just hop in a car and arrive <laughs> he uses every mode of transportation <laughs> you can and it is very funny mm-hmm. um, and, and it speaks to it speaks to certainly a Keaton type sensibility but a Lloyd one as well which is like constant motion Mm -hmm. Um, that that was much more of a Keaton thing than a, than a Lloyd thing. But here uh, the thrill from his thrill comedy comes from uh, having to get somewhere fast. And so no matter what, he's going to, you know, there are moments when he's, when he uh, is in a vehicle and then it crashes and without missing a step, (laughs) Uh, he's just on his feet running, like mm-hmm. almost at the same, almost at the same pace. Right. And so all of that is a lot of fun. And it's uh, all of that leading to a really wonderful uh, climax within the climax. And so, uh, and this is, this is an, an example where uh, we feel sad for the character's naivete. We know that the world is going to come down hard on him. And then when it does, he has a very human reaction, which is tears. He feels, hmm. and, and it doesn't feel like, to go back to what I was saying, it doesn't feel like he's weeping like Chaplin did, um, and it doesn't dwell on it too long, and he's not trying to make any larger points. He's just telling you a story about a character, mm-hmm. and this is the moment in that character's life when he realized that things are not what he thought they were. And so uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, and that's the other thing, is he was also, because he was a, uh, an actor uh, before he was a comedian, he's able to pull that off, uh, in a, f- in a somewhat subtle way. Hmm. And so I do think that, uh, I think it's, it's a good jumping off point. It is not my favorite film of his, um, and of the three that I'll be recommending, it is my third favorite uh, of the bunch, but it is still a very good introduction to him.
2: Um, and now you, you talk about uh, the Graduate, but seeing as it's a comedy, I'm I'm kind of hearing like, or maybe it's there's a a, a Wayne's World Two element in the, well, or or I guess there'd be a girl shy element in Wayne's World Two instead, which go. was also inspired by uh, the Graduate. And <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it's that's the thing is, I mean, the Graduate, so the Graduate is. Uh, considered by many a comedy and the, and mike nichols came up in the world of comedy was part of nichols and may a, a comedy duo yep. so i have no doubt that he had this sequence in mind from girl shy when he was thinking of the the sequence at the end of uh, the graduate so mm. yeah that's an example um, it's i mean it definitely tonally is a little bit different but it's i think the concept is still there
2: um and now i, I do i do want to make sure because uh, i i i'm I, this is this is a, a problem I've had later on where I've recorded episodes and realized that, that that a title is not available. It Doesn't seem to be anywhere readily available right now. How is how is this something to be to be seen by the larger population? Because it doesn't seem like it, it's on Amazon unless I wanted to buy. Well, where was it here? My internet is being funny. The uh, the Le Classiques de Burlesque Volume Two for DVD, which um, includes the General, Girl Shy, some type of Lord Hardy shorts and and that sort of thing, but.
1: All right, just go with that one then.
2: Um, oh, fair enough. Um don't don't necessarily search Amazon for Girl Shy, you won't approve of every <laughs> of every result. Oh no,
1: I stand by every everything with the title Girl Shy. Um Yeah, it's that's true. Uh it is it is hard to the other two movies are very easy to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh but Girl Shy might not be. So hang on one second.
2: Um, number one result on Amazon for uh, Girl Shy, by the way, The Shy Girl and the Football Star, uh, a novel by Julia Canini, apparently. Just putting that out there.
1: Okay, so if you go to YouTube, you can watch Girl Shy in its entirety. Oh, boy. Uh, so there you go.
2: Well, and that is that. That is one of, uh, I guess, the unfortunate but also fortunate thing about a lot of these silent films are um, that was the case. I, I believe uh, the very first... Um, film that Charles Epting recommended for uh, Charlie Chap, which I believe was The Tramp, the short The Tramp, is also mm-hmm. uh, available to, to watch on uh, YouTube as well. So let me just yeah. double check Tyler's work here because uh, I, I don't trust him. Yep, it appears as though Girl Shy is available um, in full on YouTube. So your story checks out. You are still, All right. you are still trustworthy.
1: Okay, good. Thank you.
2: Um, okay, so we got Girl Shy is the first one. Uh, what are we doing for number two here? Next, let's go ahead and do Safety Last.
1: Okay. Um, So it came out in 1923. It is. It's the one with the iconic image of him hanging off of a clock. Um, (laughs) That is the. That's part of the final sequence. Mm -hmm. It's only one moment of the final sequence uh, in which he. uh, He's. The story is that he's a young guy who's come to town to make good, you know, he's come to New York to make good and he gets a crappy job, but the, and he falls in love with this girl, but he, he feels, I don't think it's something she's communicating to him, but he feels that while he has the job he has, he just, he's not going to be able to provide for her. He's not going to be able to take care of her. He won't be good enough for her. Mm-hmm. So he's constantly trying to find ways to improve his, his station. Uh, and then he, at the time, there was, you know, the concept of like sitting on flagpoles and stuff. Um, there was also, at the time, there was a very popular thing in New York, and it was the human fly, which is people that people that scale buildings. S- still happens. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <clears throat> But, I uh, I work. Uh, it was a new phenomenon and very exciting at the time.
2: Yeah, I do. I work a, a couple blocks away from the New York Times building, and just I believe uh, shortly after Trump's election, there was someone who was scaling the New York Times, which is quite popular of a destination for people to scale because of the rather sort of ladder grid like structure of the uh, the the facade.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it plays a, a big role in the film because he realizes, oh, what I'll do is as sort of a marketing technique and just kind of a way of getting people's attention for certain things. Um, cause he works, I think at like a department store, like a Macy's type department store. Okay. And so he goes, Oh, I'll have, I know a guy who's, who does this. I will hire him to like scale the building. Everyone will be paying attention and it'll just draw attention to our building. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, a really, it's just a, just a delightful uh, sequence of events where, um, the, uh, He works it out so that he will do it for one floor, and then the guy will, like, uh, sort of disguise himself as Harold Lloyd, and he'll go the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then the guy gets in trouble with a cop, and Harold Lloyd has to scale the whole thing. And... (laughs) which actually does speak to, I mean, there are people that like really dig into the thematic elements of these movies. And it's tough because, you know, when it's a comedy, especially a comedy of the time, and it's not Chaplin, um, it's hard to know if they were thinking in those terms. Um, so one could say that there's an unconscious quality to it, that, <coughs> that if, if Lloyd was meant to be sort of this, if his character was sort of this all American, uh, well-meaning upright boy, um, That and it's the 1920s where that's it's very and we, hey, we had won World War one. We're doing great. Uh, the idea of you're going to have to do it yourself. And that's and and if you do something yourself, you will have, you know, you can say that you earned the, the 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 prize, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rather than pawn something off on somebody else and making it sim- simply look like you were the one doing it. So okay. it's a very, it's a very like bootstraps American idea. And so somebody said like, like the, if he had simply had to scale the building, that would be one thing. But the fact that he wanted somebody else to do it and found that, no, if I want this, I'm going to have to do it myself, <laughs> that that is like, uh, a, a very American conclusion to come to, yeah. and maybe he meant for that to be the case, maybe not. Uh, they're not sure, but uh, but the sequence of him climbing the building and just running across one obstacle after another is delightful, and it is uh, terrifying. Uh, people <laughs> like people genuinely fainted uh, when watching this film. People who had issues with heights, mm. um, and this was uh, an instance he made this film not long after once again blowing some of his fingers off <laughs> and while and while he was never as high up as the film would have you believe right he was still pretty high up mm. and he had to essentially climb this thing doing all his own stunts um except for like the the wide shots the super wide shots yeah. um he had to like climb a building with essentially one hand and an index <laughs> finger and a thumb, you know? And at one point, he has to like, hang by one hand. I mean, it, it is genuinely thrilling. Mm-hmm. And it's – and they're – like, I watched it with friends uh, many years ago. And during the sequence, like, one of the many sequences where he just comes so close to falling, my friends are just like, "Huh." Oh. Whew. Like it
2: just—it's
1: <laughs> there's a breathlessness to it that uh, I think people really respond to.
2: Yeah, I mean, you make it sound like such a big deal, but I have to assume back in the 20s people were blowing fingers off all the time, and it was just they grew back quicker though in those days. I, from what I exactly, understand. yeah, yeah, I'm,
1: it's because we all started getting uh, those uh, vaccines that we stopped <laughs> yeah. able, being able to grow back our tails well, and stuff.
2: Well, it was that, in the combination of once they started putting fluoride in our water, that's when everything exactly. was, was down. Exactly. Um, it, whoever wrote the IMDb summary. Seemed seems to uh really know that the or or want to highlight uh that what this film was known for cuz the summary is just a store clerk organizes a publicity stunt in which a friend climbs the outside of a tall building like that's not a summary that's just something that happens at some point in the film
1: yeah, I mean it's it's definitely the climax of the film, but that's there's easily forty five minutes <laughs> of other things before that.
2: Because I, I, now I'm picturing like you're watching this with friends. There's the one who's very concerned, then there's the one who's for forty minutes like, where's the building climbing? I'm not seeing any building climbing yeah. in this movie. Well,
1: and and okay, so this actually goes back to what we were talking about before is that there is a tendency when looking at older films, certainly silent films which are not seen as particularly relevant anymore mm-hmm. yeah. uh there is a tendency to boil them down to the memes
2: to a moment yeah yeah you know mm-hmm.
1: and harold lloyd climbing that building and then certainly hanging off the clock at this point is just as is is that's kind of the the big thing that's known about it yeah and so people when talking about the film itself they will then talk about it as though that is the only thing worth noting. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if we, if I was talking about King Kong and I said, a giant ape goes to New York city and climbs the New York, uh, you know, the, the empire state building. Yeah. Well a lot happens before that and that other stuff is also important like if you boil down every movie only to its third act climax <laughs> which you could do yep. because that is the height of the story um I feel like you're you're missing out on things and so but that happens a lot when talking about uh older movies. There's there's a definite definitely a reductive quality uh when people talk about them.
2: Yeah, of course. And that's why when uh a, when a Film Forum here a few years ago screened the fiftieth anniversary print of Metropolis, I stormed out screaming, Where's the robot that C three PO was based on? Um thirty minutes into the film did not work out very well for me, but um okay. Let's <laughs> You're a ridiculous person. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Um, okay, so we got our, our, our first two, uh, and now, of course, that means we have to get on to our third and final recommendation for Harold Lloyd. And, and of course, I mean, as, as we were talking about earlier, yes, we have In Safety Last is where he's hanging off the clock, which is very... I believe Zemeckis has been kind of open about uh that inspiring Doc Brown's um yeah. climax not Doc Brown's climax um but the the climax of Back to the Future in which Doc Brown is hanging from the clock tower um, yeah. is is what I of course meant to say um but whew, that was a close one. Um, okay. <laughs> now. All right. So. Yeah. Now let's get on to the actual thing, which is the the third. As and final
1: fun one. as it would be to just let you keep talking, <laughs> uh, we're gonna go. The last one is the 1925 film, The Freshman, oh. which um, is my favorite of his films, uh, and actually does not. It 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 does have a climax. It, it's a uh, it's a, a football game huh. uh, appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's not thrilling the way you know this this big um, you know race to the finish uh, that you'd get in um, Girl Shy or the climbing of the building in safety last. It's not that type of thrilling. It's a emo- it's more emotionally thrilling. And within it, there are you know a lot of amusing little moments here and there. Mm. Um, but what I what I just love about it is that I mean I think I saw it at a very specific time in my life. Um, I saw it when I was nineteen. Mm. I I had spent one year at Southwest, Southwest Missouri State University, and then I moved to the big city, Chicago, Woo. and one of the first classes I took was uh, this silent comedy class. And the the story of this guy going to college and being so excited to be there, mm-hmm. uh, but not really knowing how things work, everything that he knows is based on other movies and books and that sort of thing he's again he's very naive and people just take full advantage of him and it's it is often very sad while also undeniably funny um and so like there's there's a a a sequence where uh he's hosting a party at his uh, at his house, mm-hmm. and everybody has shown up. But the whole reason people hang out with him is because he just pays for everything. <laughs> so he's he's hosting this party, and everyone's like, hey, a place to get free food and, and free booze, although I guess it was the 20s, maybe not booze,
2: but <laughs> free stuff. Free
1: soda pop. And we can just, exactly. And <laughs> we can just go and hang out with our friends all on this guy's dime. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so he has a suit made uh, for, you know, for his party, but of course the suit isn't totally finished, and so as the party is going on, like parts of it keep he has to just sort of keep it together <laughs> um, throughout, and it's often very funny. And the thing is, he is worried about his suit that like oh if something happens, I'll uh, it'll be embarrassing. But of course he's. They're already laughing at him. He just doesn't know it. Aww. Like there's something there's something particularly sad about that. Yeah. The idea is like trying so hard to keep respect that you never had in the first place, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's just a very um, it's very sweet. I think it is the I don't know if it's the most personal, but it's the one that feels the most character based, uh, and so many of the of the little um, so many of the of the bits and so many of the gags do come from an organic place. So often with silent films, Lloyd's or, or anybody else's, the gags often come so far out of left field that it's just like, okay, they thought of the gag. It didn't really fit with the script. So they found a place where it could maybe kind of sort of fit. Um, whereas so many of the, of the gags in the Freshman just because the premise is so solid, it's your first year of college. You're trying to impress everybody all right, so you're going to cast a wide net. You're going to do as much stuff as you can to try to make that happen. So I think the premise just yields a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think for the most part, it pays off. And I think it's a really great performance by him. And I think it's just from a story standpoint, I think it's the most satisfying to me. But I also, I'm in the minority on that. Like I, I used to have a, a, well, it's still going on, but uh, there was a weekly movie night uh, that I would go to with my friends and um one week we watched uh The Freshman and then one week we watched Safety Last and everybody agreed that they liked Safety Last more <laughs> which is under which is understandable as to why mm. it's it's got more spectacle it has more thrills and all of that but I just think as far as a movie and as a story and as a character piece I think The Freshman works best for me.
2: Well in and, and it, even just the premise of it of uh, like safety laugh is like yeah. oh or safety laugh, safety last you, you kind of hear that in the setup like oh well this is it's going to be heightened and this sounds ridiculous but then you kind of hear like hey a, a guy who goes to college and wants to be popular and everybody's laughing i was like well that that hits too close to home that's not funny yeah. that's just tragic
1: yeah but uh, it is also very funny within all
2: of that right. so i i remember uh, i uh this past christmas i uh I watched a whole bunch of stuff with my Christmas movies with my girlfriend, some which for the first time, some for me, some which for her. I I finally saw Die Hard for the first time over Christmas, the very first time. Um everybody was Yeah, I
1: don't I don't I don't really see it as a Christmas movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh Take that the internet um, <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I showed her national Lampoons Christmas vacation, which is one of my favorite movies in which I find absolutely hilarious and at the end she just said that wasn't funny that was sad <laughs> and it's uh and, and it was like I yeah, I guess I can see that too a lot of comedy
1: could just if you just twist it one <laughs> a little bit more you're like, oh, the Griswolds are a deeply miserable family
2: <laughs> yes especially um yeah, that uh but yeah, so I can see how someone might sit through the freshman and just kind of be like I I don't know. Th- this was just that's just a sad thing. That's what happens to people. We shouldn't be laughing at this situation. Um yeah. but I I don't know. I I I'm I'm not sure about that. Uh or at least in the sense of I'm sure I will find it absolutely delightful and if not I'm going to send you a lot of angry text messages of course. Um All right. Um and it's it's funny too uh, getting back to this idea of of these movies being Harold Lloyd movies and you know the the Kind of uh, poo-pooing the idea of the auteur theory. All three of these, according to IMDb, were directed by the same guy, a guy named Fred C. Newmeyer. But
1: Newmeyer, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Um, is anyone go- is anyone going to think like, oh, what's <clears throat> my favorite Fred C. Newmeyer film, or what's your favorite one?
1: And they and they might like in his defense. I don't mean to 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 crap on him. Like clearly. Lloyd found somebody he could work with yeah, yeah, and course. somebody who got what he was trying to do and could help him realize that. Right. So I don't mean to, to, you know, take it out on, on Newmeyer like he was experienced and, and he turned out some very good, you know, very good movies, yeah. but at this, but yeah, it's the, no this, one would say that it's a Newmeyer joint.
2: Yeah. I mean, there, there's something to be said about a collaborator who kind of knows what you're doing, what you're, I mean, you, you know, when we're getting to the actual auteur theory, I mean, you, you kind of you don't have a Scorsese movie unless you have Thelma Schoonmaker as the editor, either. Yeah. Um. It, it's yeah. A, it's that sort of thing, you know, and it, it a lot of times it, it seems to be a director editor thing, which is rather kind of interesting. Um. Mm-hmm. Tarantino and Sally Mankey until she passed away, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's a that is just an inter- interesting little thought. Okay, so as a, a recap, we got Girl Shy, we got Safety Less – and we have The Freshman. So Yes. Um, all right. So th- this is this is going to be – and I'm actually kind of a, a little bit surprised too because I know when we were – when I was talking to, to Charles about uh, Charlie Chaplin, a lot of these were sort of like The Tramp is a short uh, film. I think it's around 30 minutes, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe a little bit longer. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. And then he eventually did – but all these are, are pretty much uh, around the hour 20 mark if not more. So these are all feature-length films. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean part of me because that's the thing is he transitioned into longer films pretty not necessarily quickly but easily. I think he realized that oh my gosh, I can I can really explore character story and just have some really I mean, you know, the 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 building sequence alone in Safety Last is 20 minutes Mm -hmm. you know which would be longer than a short film i think he really understood that with a lot of these thrill comedies certainly that like the more you draw this stuff out the more thrilling and exhausting it can be
2: (laughs) yeah that's true so
1: i think he took to it pretty quick
2: okay um so that's uh that's um it in terms of our conversation i guess tyler is there anything more or or final parting notes you want to have about harold lloyd
1: uh, not that I can think of. I'm, I'm excited to see what you think. I've never, I've never known anybody who, um, <clears throat> who did not care for Harold Lloyd. Um, they might not like him as much as I do. They might prefer Keaton and Chaplin. And I do think that, that Keaton certainly was just sort of a better filmmaker in general. His films were always more visually interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as just, again, relatability and just the stuff that I tend to look for in comedy, um, I think I just prefer Harold, Harold Lloyd. Well,
2: I, I get. It. I, I feel optimistic since I, I came, or since I brought the the podcast back. There's only been really one blip on the radar, Dario Argento in October, didn't really do a whole lot for me. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of the comedy stuff, I the Ealing comedies uh, that Gavin maybe has talked about were absolutely delightful, and that's
1: which which of those did you watch again?
2: Um, I'm gonna forget the order here, um, and maybe even some of the names. I know I did the Man in the White Suit. Okay. Um, the one in which. Uh, Alec Guinness plays seven different characters.
1: Kind Hearts and Coronets.
2: Kind Hearts and Coronets. And then... The Lady Killers? uh, Yes, The Lady Killers was the final one. Okay.
1: Yes, all of those are very good. Um, I was surprised that he didn't go with uh, the Lavender Hill mob because it is a great it's it is a delightful film.
2: He um I I know he referenced that one a number of times and I believe there's probably a specific reason that he didn't um and there was even one he wanted to go with but it was just not available anywhere. Yeah. Um the one that had whiskey in the title.
1: Oh, I can't think of it, but yeah, yeah I know what you're talking uh, about. But
2: yeah. Um I and I think it was I think it was um a toss up between the Lady Killers or the Lavender Hill Mob and, and he ended up going with the Lady Killers.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's tough. Like if it's just, like if it were four, then those are the four you go with. When yeah. it's three, it's hard to know which you can't you won't you don't throw out kind hearts and coronets, but um yep. but yeah, like the Lavender Hill Mob is interesting for a few reasons. One is that like it's a fun little heist movie. Yeah. Uh Alec was was nominated for best actor that year. Mm-hmm. The director would go on to make A Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> so like the 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 British uh Heist movie was something that he clearly was, was comfortable
2: with. He, he was it him? What, what, I know one of the directors um, in there also went on to do the Sweet Smell of Success. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember who that was, but yeah.
2: Um, um, with, um it, it, I mean, they, they, these things don't matter, I guess. But what does yeah. matter is, I guess, uh, Tyler. <laughs> if um, if there are people who have never heard of you before, I mean, think this guy sounds interesting. I want to hear more about him. Where can they go online?
1: To find more of your stuff? Uh, they can go to uh where I host a weekly podcast with uh, David Bax. We've been doing it for coming up on 12 years at this point. Hey. Um, just recorded episode... 620 i believe okay. so mm-hmm. uh lots of content there we're actually kicking off a patreon mm-hmm. uh this week so that uh, on top of the weekly episode for uh either a five or ten dollar tier you can also get uh, uh additional content uh audio or video so oh. uh so you can go to BattleshipRetention.com and find out more about that
2: now does that include the the uh commentary stuff that you've done in films or is that completely separate
1: uh, that does include that, yes. The $10 tier includes that. That is quite wonderful,
2: I guess. Well, yeah. okay, and I'll, I'll be sure, I, I mean, I can, I'll can. i link to that on my Facebook page, which, of course, you, you need the help because of how popular my Facebook page is to, <laughs> hey, to it never hurts. funnel traffic in, into you. Uh, and that that director's name was Alexander McKendrick, who did... Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, The Lady Killers, The Man in the White Suit, and Whiskey Galore. That was the one that we were okay. trying to think of. So, um, of course, if you uh, want to get in touch with me, it's easy enough. You can email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com uh nolan fixes teeth you can find me on twitter you can find back episodes of the show on battleship that's where you can uh chime in on the comment fields as well it's pretty only pretty much only one person who does it on a fairly regular basis but hey i i appreciate that as well um itunes of course and uh com. so tyler thank you a lot for joining me this was a delightful conversation and i'm i'm looking forward to these um titles so um Thank you again for joining me again. I will thank you No problem. Yes. (laughs) Um, um, Be sure, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to tune in next week where I will be covering Girl Shy. um, And hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant.